This is Voices of Ukraine, a new podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. I'm Masha Udenseva-Brenner, the Institute's media manager. We study Russia, Eurasia, and Eastern Europe. And since Russia started this war, we've been hearing a lot of firsthand accounts. Many of our friends and colleagues are either in Ukraine or deeply connected to it. We'll share their stories every week. Ukraine has changed dramatically. This was not the country that I left. And now we have to pause all of it. Innocent people are dying. That's Maria Chuknova, our recent alumna. She was born in Lutsk in western Ukraine in the late 80s, the end of the Soviet period. And she's a millennial, a generation that's watched Ukraine struggle to leave behind the Soviet era to escape the chaos and corruption of the 90s and early aughts, and to free itself from Russia's grip so it could have a fair shot of transitioning into an independent and democratic country. Maria, like many Ukrainians of her generation, ended up immigrating abroad and watching Ukraine's transformation and now the war from afar. Here's her story. To be honest with you, I do not have any positive memories about my childhood. There was a shortage of food. There was a huge inflation. My mom was a teacher. She was a single mom raising two kids and working a few jobs. I remember when I was a child, waiting in line with other teachers who brought their kids and getting the buckwheat as a compensation for her work. And we would eat that buckwheat for six months. When I was a kid, I would go to the local markets and sell stuff from our garden. And that was going on like probably since I was six until I was in college. While Maria came of age, Ukraine adopted a new democratic constitution and its own currency, the hryvna. In 2002, the government even announced the decision to begin a formal bid to join NATO. But at the same time, then-President Leonid Kuchma was also pushing for intense privatization of the economy and empowering the rise of an oligarchical system that would allow a group of hand-picked individuals to profit from these privatization efforts. Meanwhile, regular people were seeing few benefits. I was accepted to college in my hometown Lutsk to study for languages and world literature. It was not my choice. I wanted to go to medical college. We learned that the bribe to get in was equivalent of the one-year tuition. When Maria started college in 2004, corruption was rampant. To pass the course, some professors were demanding money, and they had their own price for each grade. It didn't matter if you go to class, if you did all the work, if you did well on the exam, he would only accept financial compensation for your grade. In November 2004, during Maria's first semester in college, Ukraine erupted in political turmoil. So you were in Ukraine during the Orange Revolution. I was very active there. I remember that we were all in college, and all my friends, even Russian-speaking friends, who came from Yalta, from other cities in Crimea, we learned about the injustice during the elections and that Viktor Yanukovych won. 
The country's election commission ignored reports of fraud, declaring Kremlin-backed Viktor Yanukovych the winner. Far from and down, when they showed the result that my city voted for him, which was not true, my whole city turned orange. All the classes were canceled. Hundreds of thousands of pro-democracy Ukrainians in the streets today protested against the results of the presidential election. We were excited to walk down the streets and shout out different slogans during the marches. My apartment was our base where we would come and make posters. It was very, very cold and snowing and slush. So we'd also come back to my house, have some tea, driver clothes on the radiators, put some dry socks and just go back. That was an exciting moment. My government demonstrators finally had something to celebrate. The parliament voted to disband the government of a candidate who has been declared the winner of the disputed presidential election. The protesters had managed to oust Viktor Yanukovych. The revolution was inspiring, but the corruption in her university continued, and Maria felt constrained. Ever since she was a child, she dreamed of going to the U.S. It started after she watched the movie Home Alone and saw the Christmas tree, surrounded by presents. The U.S. became a symbol of prosperity, a place that Maria felt would allow her to live how she wanted. By going to the United States, I always knew I want to make my own choices. Even they are right or wrong, but that would be my experience. During her third year of university, she applied to a cultural exchange program and was paired with a family to work as an au pair. So I came to New York City first. I'd never seen a skyscraper in my life. I was overwhelmed. I could not believe that people can build such tall buildings. But Maria's new job was in a very different place, a suburb outside Memphis, Tennessee. She stayed for a year and a half, then went to Chicago, where she had Ukrainian friends. She knew that by doing this, she would lose her work visa and become undocumented. But she was willing to accept this. I knew that at the end, I will be able to become independent, a respected professional, and treated equally in the society that I decided to live. Maybe I, I was naive. In Chicago, Maria got a job as a house cleaner and a nanny and worked constantly. But she always kept an eye on Ukrainian politics. In 2010, she learned that Viktor Yanukovych, the same man who'd been ousted by the Orange Revolution, was back in power. I felt betrayed. But on the other hand, I felt that Ukrainian people will unite again. They will come to the streets. They will demand justice. They will demand transparency. And she was right. In 2014, Ukraine erupted in revolution again in a fight to determine whether the country should be closer to Russia, as Yanukovych wanted, or closer to the West. Maria watched from afar as authorities shot at the protesters who were demanding democracy for Ukraine. Today, the bloodiest day yet, with more than 70 dead and counting. The protesters eventually prevailed. Viktor Yanukovych was ousted from power once again. But that didn't settle the battle between pro-Western Ukrainians and the separatist movement Russia had ignited in eastern Ukraine. Within weeks, Russia annexed Crimea and invaded the eastern Ukrainian region of Donbass. It killed Maria to be so far away from family and friends during such a critical time, 
but because she was undocumented, she couldn't go back to Ukraine without getting kicked out of the U.S. She'd put down roots in her adopted land. She hoped to go back to college here, and she was falling in love with an American she met on Tinder. He kept asking me, why are you not going back to college? You seem smart <laughs> and very ambitious. For six months, she dodged his questions. But then she finally told him the truth. I cannot go to college because I don't have papers. And he told me, well, it's, it's not a problem. We're going to fix it. I have feelings for you. You have feelings for me. Let's just uh, make it official. So we got married. It was early 2015, six months after the wedding, Maria got a white card, a temporary residence permit that allowed her to work and travel. And soon after, she went back to Ukraine for the first time in eight years. Maria focused on her friends and family during the visit, but even still, she couldn't help but notice the political tensions. There were a lot of talks about the annexation of Crimea, about the invasion of Donbass. People were worried that this so-called conflict will grow in something bigger. And what was it like to be reunited with your family after all those years? It was great. After the trip, I felt very homesick. I had the video calls with my mom, with my brother, with my other relatives, like, every day. Back in the U.S., though, Maria was eager to move forward with her life. She'd enrolled in community college as soon as she'd gotten papers, and she excelled there. So much so that her academic advisors encouraged her to apply to Columbia School of General Studies which caters to adult learners. When she got in, she couldn't believe it. I have email from Colombia. Congratulations, you've been accepted. I was like, what? And that's how we packed the U-Haul and uh, moved from Chicago to New York. At Columbia, Maria majored in Slavic studies and found herself gravitating toward courses about Ukraine and Russia. She wanted to understand the relationship between her home country and its colonizer. She stayed at Columbia an extra year and enrolled in the Harriman Institute's BAMA program, which allowed her to complete a master's degree. For her master's thesis, she returned to Lutsk, her hometown, which no longer looked like a Soviet city. You would feel like you're somewhere in Europe. It's a great tourist hub. Not long after she returned to New York in early 2020 to complete her final semester, the pandemic hit. Maria graduated on Zoom and started working as a project manager for a management consulting firm specializing in rule of law and anti-corruption measures in the public sector. A year later, she received some horrible news from Lutsk. My mom was diagnosed with cancer, stage four. In May, I flew right back to Ukraine. She went through nine chemos, but it was not successful. Maria stayed in Lutsk for the next eight months, helping her older brother take care of their dying mother. Besides crisis with my mom, there was another crisis in, in Ukraine on a high level. Russia has for weeks been massing troops and tanks along the Ukrainian border. New intelligence suggests the Kremlin is in advanced stages of planning an invasion of Ukraine as early as next year. In December, when the United States put all the embassies in Ukraine on high alert that it's not advised for American citizens to travel to Ukraine, 
that was where we really started to worry about it because we had a paralyzed mom who has cancer and she needs her painkillers. And we knew if something will happen, we will not be able to go anywhere, or at least it would take us some time to evacuate. Maria's mom passed away in January. Maria stayed to help plan the funeral. She convinced her brother to stock up on supplies and flew back to New York. Two weeks later, Russia invaded Ukraine. What were you doing when you learned about the invasion? So that was uh, 1 a.m. on Thursday, and I was sleeping. My husband woke me up. He told me that my phone was blowing up. I got my phone, my hands were shaking, and my husband was asking me in English, what, what's going on, what's happening? And I couldn't say a word in English. I was telling him in Ukrainian the attack happened, they, they bombed Lutsk. What was going through your mind during all this? The emotions overtook me. The first feeling was fear, refusal to accept the facts. But I talked to my brother, he told me everything is quiet right now. Next, she called her uncle, who lives near the air base in Lutsk. They heard the first explosion. They put the kids in the pajamas in the car and drove to the city. While they were getting ready, they heard four more explosions. My brother, who lives in downtown of Lutsk, told me that he woke up from the noise because the whole apartment, all the furniture windows were shaking. And what has your family been doing since the war started? My brother, who is five years older, he's an engineer. He never served in the army, and he doesn't have any combat experience. However, he went, signed up for the local defense organizations. And he is currently the volunteer with the territorial defense. He helps to organize the shelters for the refugees. He also works as a driver to drive around all their help that people donate, and also like they're receiving a lot of help from the abroad. Maria's uncle is a surgeon. The hospital uh, created a schedule for each doctor who would go to the hospital for six hours. They would take different shifts every six hours, so that's what he does. And what has your daily life looked like since this started? My life turned upside down. I felt helpless. I could not concentrate. My thoughts were somewhere else. I was on my phone 24-7. Maria says there's something else mixed in with her feeling of fear. The feeling of pride overwhelmed me because I knew that my nation is very strong and united, but to be honest with you, I was not expecting that they will be able to come together so quickly and put such a tremendous resistance that the whole world will be in shock. And right now, I finally back to normal. I have the internet. I have my word. I have my freedom to speak the truth. And that's what I'm doing. I also have the freedom to collect donations to help the Ukrainian people. Um, yeah, that's it, I guess.
I checked in with Maria again, a few weeks after our conversation. The world had just received news of the massacre in Bucha. She said that the last time we spoke, she'd had a rare moment of optimism, but now she was despondent again, and it was difficult to function. She still believes that Ukraine will prevail, but when? Thanks for listening to Voices of Ukraine, a new podcast from the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. Tune in next week to hear from our former faculty member, Antonina Berezavenko, who's been living in caves since 2008. Here's a preview. The streets are empty. People are running out of the country. You hear explosions all the time. This is horrible, Mash. If you're looking for ways to help the people of Ukraine, please consider donating through razumforukraine.org. That's R-A-Z-O-M for Ukraine.org. I'm Mashi Densiva-Brenner. This episode was written and produced by me and edited by Ann Cooper. All the music in the series is by Ivan Nebesny, a Ukrainian composer who's still in Ukraine. We wish him safety and strength. Our cover art is by Victoria Tentler Krylov. A huge thanks to Jordan Waller, Marko Andrejcik, and Nathan Schiller for their feedback on the episode. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review. Until soon. <laughs>